Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about, the word of God. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, and then verses 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end, and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time on and forever. So at our house right now, we have two different Spotify playlists that are playing on repeat. One of them is called Terrible Christmas Songs, uh, and it's custom made, if you need to look it up. Uh, some are terrible just because, uh, I don't know, that I don't like the song. Uh, other ones are like theologically inaccurate, and that, that could be its own sermon. I won't get into that. Uh, I like to joke that there should be an order of writing Christmas songs, and it should be very simple. Order number, step number one, uh, read the Gospels. Step number two, write Christmas songs. Uh, and it seems like some are, even Christian ones, seems like they mess up on that order. Um, Mary did know, is what I'm trying to say. Mary knew, Gabriel told her. <laughs> Uh, it's right there. It's in the text. Did she know all these details? Well, that's a different thing, but yes, she knew. The other playlist, which is, is, is the playlist that I turn on more often, is Good Christmas Songs. And one of my favorites, uh, even, even younger, one of my favorites is from Amy Grant, and it's called Grown Up Christmas List. Uh, and it's this story of, uh, of a kind of Christmas from an adult perspective, and, and she's looking at her life and making a new kind of Christmas list and, and putting aside uh, maybe some of the materialistic things, some of the things that, that you've wished for uh, in your past, and it's a song of hoping and praying uh, for a different kind of Christmas this year, this kind of deeper uh, Christmas, and I'll just read some of the lyrics to you. So on her list, she asked for normal, no more lives torn apart, that wars would never start and time would heal all hearts. 
that everyone would have a friend and right would always win and love would never end. And then it goes on, this is my grown-up Christmas list. Um, hopefully the song sounds familiar to you. If it doesn't, I don't know, look it up today. Good. Um, but it, it talks about this longing within our hearts. And I think a lot of us come to Christmas with this kind of longing inside, something, uh, something deeper, something uh, more rich than the consumerism that, that we see kind of invade this time of year, this, this longing for, for a Christmas season filled with peace, uh, filled with restoration, filled with wholeness, filled with something, uh, again, much, much deeper. And I find this to be really good news when this stirs inside of us because uh, it's exactly what we find in the Gospels, is that we find people that are living in darkness and a light has dawned. That they're living in difficult times and something amazing has come. We find weary people, people that have been beat up and, and crushed by the weight of the world and they find hope. We find grieving people that find a reason to rejoice. So this uh, season of Advent, as we lead up to Christmas, we're in this sermon series called Light in the Darkness, and it's all about this idea from John chapter 12, verse 46, where Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Again, the words of Jesus, I've come into this world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So each week we're going to look at a different uh, traditional Advent word uh, for many churches, and it, and it correlates to the candles that we've been lighting. So last week was on hope, uh, this week is on peace, and then we'll do joy, and then love, and then we'll be at Christmas Eve uh, together And peace is this beautiful word in the Bible. It's so uh, common in the entire Old Testament, in the entire New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's this Hebrew word shalom, which probably sounds familiar. Um, and it simply means peace, but it also is much, much deeper. So our English word peace kind of refers to uh, the, uh, the lack of conflict, if you will. So peace means people aren't fighting. Our peace means that, that wars aren't happening, but um, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it's so much deeper. Uh, we, we talk about things like peace treaties being signed, times of peace. There was this conflict that was happening, and, and it's no longer there. Um, we may even hear friends say something like, when my family gets together, I just hope we have some peace this year. I don't know if you have any friends like that or or yourself, or whatever. Um, but as we get together, we just said there has been conflict, there has been difficulties, we know it, uh, maybe in our own family systems, maybe in everything else, and, and as we get together, we just hope that there's some kind of peace. And again, often it just means we hope that there isn't conflict, there isn't outright fighting, there isn't people who, who are disagreeing, and some go and hang out in the garage, and some stay in the living room, uh, and, and don't dare walk through the kitchen if, unless you're going to get attacked uh, by the people that, that are wonderfully serving in the kitchen. Uh, and, and you know how families are when they get together. So we just hope and we just pray that there's some kind of peace. Uh, but often peace can just sound like we hope people tolerate each other 
for a couple hours once a year. Uh, but it is so much deeper in Scripture here. So shalom actually refers to not just peace, but it more directly translates uh, to completeness or to wholeness. Something that, something that was broken, something that maybe was fractured, something that had broken pieces that is now made whole once again. So um, there's times in the Old Testament where, where the word is just simply used this way. There's a stone uh, in one verse, and the stone has cracks in it, and we're told that the stone does not have shalom. It does not have peace. It is not whole. It is broken. It has, uh, has weaknesses. It has these cracks. Uh, and it can be something more complicated than that, too. It can be a stone wall that, that an army has come, and they've broken into a, a, a city, and we are told that the wall, um, which was whole, even in its many moving parts, uh, it was whole, has now been broken, and it has lost its sense of shalom. It has lost its sense of wholeness, its sense of completeness. Um, there is not, uh, if you will, peace to the wall. But you can kind of see how that works in our lives a little bit. Um, it refers to something that is complex, that has a lot of moving parts, but it's in a state of completeness in its own complexity. And of course, life is complex. And we have a lot of moving parts, and there's a lot of pieces uh, moving around, and, and it doesn't take a whole lot of time before you realize that relationships are complex. And that work and school and home life and, and all of these things, if they're not working together, if they are broken, if they are um, shattered in any way, or, or even small cracks have formed, that the entire whole of your life loses its sense of shalom. It loses its sense of peace. There's, there's some uh, breaking down that has happened. And life is no longer whole. And therefore, when you look at the Bible, it means that, that our lives are in need of restoration. That they're in need of, of something bigger than we can bring to it. And that's exactly what this word shalom means in the Bible when it's used as a verb. Uh, it means to bring restoration. So, uh, again, a couple examples. Solomon, building the first temple, we are told in the Old Testament that he brought shalom to it when the temple was completed. We are told that when rival kingdoms are at war and they're fighting against each other, that, that when they sign a peace treaty, and it uses this word shalom, then it means more than they stopped fighting. It actually means that these two nations now... Uh, have restored the relationship. They're actually working together for the mutual benefit of, of both of them. So it's, it's much deeper. It's much uh, more rich. And of course, the good news for us is that we enter into the New Testament time and, and we enter into who Jesus is and, and we see what it means to follow him and we hear in our scripture reading earlier that he is our prince of peace. So it's this idea of wholeness, this idea of restoration that he can bring. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says these words. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, if he's just talking about removing conflict, that's, that's still good news. If Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you peace, I'm going to take away any fighting that you, that you have, and, and, uh, and that's going to be great. But when we talk about this idea of, of shalom, this idea of wholeness, that, that he will not only bring us peace, it says his peace he will give to us. His restoration, his wholeness uh, will be given to his children. So if he is our prince of peace, it means he's the one who's capable of making whole again what has been broken down. You know, some people say um, that this sense of brokenness, that this sense of, of the world not quite being how we feel like it should, that, that everything is... Uh, it feels like it's falling apart, that it's just part of being a human. You ever heard that? People are like, yeah, that's just, that's just our world. That's just part of what it means to be a human right now. But it's interesting as we look at the Bible that that's not exactly the whole story. So if we start in the beginning, there was God, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and, and living in perfect harmony and in perfect shalom, there was perfect wholeness, uh, but God didn't see fit for it to stay that simple. So what we hear is that God started to create. And God started to create everything, the earth and the stars and the oceans and the dry land and plants and animals and rocks and trees, and then he got to his crowning achievement and he created humanity. And all that had been created, he, he created at this point, and, and it was all in a state of shalom. It was all in a state of wholeness. It wasn't broken apart. It was working in harmony, and we were told that God said it was very good. But the story doesn't stop there. And we can see that because we look at our world and we say, this doesn't sound exactly like what I'm experiencing. And we, we read that God is a relational God. And that he desired to be in true relationship with his creation. And, and he gave humanity free will and he gave them the ability to either accept God or the ability to reject God. And they were free to either live in this state of shalom or they were free to bring chaos into the order that had begun to exist. And of course, we don't get very far into the Bible before we realize that humanity has chosen to reject God and to seek to find wisdom themselves. They've broken that relationship uh, early on, and continue to, after every generation, continue to turn away from God, continue to chase after our own human wisdom, our own human uh, intellect, thinking that we can be the kings and rulers of our own lives. And they turned away from their creator, and they looked to themselves. And in this act, shalom, this wholeness, this peace, was broken. 
What had been orderly and what had been complete was now in a state of chaos. And again, we still feel the results of that today. But in the prophet Isaiah and, and in the New Testament, we hear about Jesus as our Prince of Peace, as our Prince of Shalom. That his reign would bring shalom with no end. That he would right all wrongs and heal what had been broken. And that it would be Jesus who would restore to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. And that if we live in him, we can live in his state of peace. If we live in him, we can live in his state of shalom, his state of wholeness, his state of restoration. And here's the good news. Here's where I find this really exciting. Um, you know, I think growing up in the church, I, I heard that message some. Maybe it wasn't said exactly uh, that succinct or whatever, but I heard it kind of over and over again, but, but this part was often left off. And that is, if we are in Christ, then he is in us. And then we are also called to be agents of this kind of peace out into the broken and chaos of the world. That we actually get to partner with God in that. That we're not, we're not just some extra players on the side. We actually have a role to play in this world, that we get to be agents of shalom, agents of peace into a hurting world. And I think that's really good news. But I think it's also really challenging. Because it doesn't mean that the world will be nice to us about it. And it doesn't mean that, that they're going to treat you the way that you treat them. But that's also not what the promise is. I mean, they, they crucified Jesus. Like, I know, we're, I know we're leading up to Christmas, and that's great, but, but as Christians, we need to live knowing Good Friday and knowing Easter above the rest of these other stories. So we know where this is going. Uh, we know that that uh, as we live our lives and as we bring uh, forth this peace and hopefully God empowers us too, that we will meet resistance, whether people are aware of it or not, that the chaos in the world is so strong. This is not some simple force that, that all of a sudden one nice deed, you don't just like take a grocery cart and put it back in the cart corral and all of a sudden the world is right again. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden there's peace on earth. <laughs> That is why we continue to pray those prayers that Jesus would come again, that Jesus would bring the fullness of this. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to use a sports analogy here. So if you're not into sports, um, I don't know, pardon me. But, um, you know, I think a lot of people, and this is not an Arnold thing, this is not a Chapel on the Pines thing, this is a, I don't know, Western, modern church thing. But I think a lot of people come to church on Sundays and it's like they're coming to some kind of sporting event. It's like you're coming to a game and, and you show up and you're in the stadium and you're in the stands and you look down and there's some people on the field, uh, but it's like you're in the stands. 
and you're cheering them on and you're saying, yay, go get them, professional Christians. Uh, good job, worship band. Uh, good job, pastor. Good job, you know, tech team. <laughs> uh, and, and it's like we're in the stands and, and we're looking at who's down on the field and we cheer for them and, and people say, oh, what team do you cheer for? And you say, oh, I, I cheer for uh, Chapel in the Pines. I'm a big Chapel in the Pines fan. Uh, and, I'm, of course, I'm being tongue-in-cheek, but it's a little true. We, we look at, especially in a world with celebrity pastors, people don't even just say the church anymore. Uh, and, and it's like, I'm a Chapel in the Pines fan, or, or I'm a Big Trees fan, or I'm an Arnold Christian Fellowship fan, or I'm a, I'm a Mountain Christian fan. But, but, but I'm in the stands, and, and I'm looking down at what they're doing, and I'm saying, yeah, uh, I like that, therefore, maybe I'll wear the jersey, uh, I'll pretend, but you can't wear a football jersey and all of a sudden be a football player, right? So it's like, it's like you're cheering for the, the professionals and what they're doing. And then we go home, and then it's like it didn't matter. But here's the deal. The reality is, is that if you're a Christian, you're not in the stands at all. You're on the field. You are the ones that are playing the, the game. You're, you're on the field. You're on the field when you're interacting with your coworkers. You're on the field when you're raising your children and deciding how to do that and seeking after God's wisdom. You're on the field when you're going to school and your classmates are all around you. You're on the field when you're driving down the road and that person cuts you off. I won't name who. Hopefully they're not here. It's a small town. Maybe they're here. I don't know. You're on the field when you're deciding how to spend your time. And what going to church is, is not sitting in the stands and looking at the other people. It's, it's you finally get a time to go to the sideline. You know, in the middle of the game, it's so hard to, to figure out what's going on, what's going right, what's going wrong, what encouragement do you need. But what this is, what going to church is, is you get to take a little bit of a break. And you get to come to the sidelines, and, and you get to read some, some scripture and hear what God has for you. And, and it's like Jesus, as our coach, is, is saying, you're, you're doing a good job out there. You're playing the game well. Keep trying. You're only at halftime. Keep going. Rest for a second. You know, take a break, get some water, uh, get your energy back, and then you're going to get out there on that field again. You know, really, it seems like this is what church is supposed to be. That it's not supposed to be this, this entertainment Thing. It's not supposed to be, oh, I show up and, and again, I, I vote yay or nay on what I experienced. Um, I, don't, I don't know a better way to say it, but, you know, terms like church shopping uh, should rub you the wrong way. <laughs> There's, there should be something about it that you go, eh, is that really it? Am I really supposed to show up as a consumer and then decide, do I like this product? And, and maybe I go to Walmart, but maybe I'm a Target person. Is that really all this is about? Uh, 
Or is this a moment where you can take a break from a world that is often chaotic and hopefully enter into a place with some shalom, some peace, some wholeness? You know, that's really what, it, what the church seems to be when we read the New Testament. It seems to be people who are living in a hurting world and they get together and they, uh, they find a sense of peace. Together. They find a sense of encouragement, and then they get built up again, and then they get sent back out there to do the good works. So here's my pep talk for you all. We have a big game ahead of us. I'm not just talking figure, I'm talking in the next few weeks. A lot of you are going to be with family, and you haven't been with them, or loved ones, and you haven't been with them in a long time. And we can either be people of peace or we can be people of chaos. We can be people that, that somehow by how we interact in the world around us, we can, we can build people up, we can lift them up, we can uh, shine the light of Christ into difficult situations, we can look at uh, people in our lives and we can bring wholeness and we can bring peace, uh, or we could probably bring chaos. And you are the church. And I am the church, and we are the church, and we are called, again, this is my pep talk from the sidelines, we are called to be people of peace. And this is the big game. This next three, four weeks. You don't often get a chance like this. Again, sports analogy, some games matter more than others. You have a big one coming up. And it matters, church. It matters how we do. So as we go through these sermons and as we reflect on these texts, we think about hope and peace and joy and love. Don't let this fall just on your ears and then go away. Let this sink in because this is how we're going to shine the light of Christ into this world. On Christmas, the light entered into the darkness, and the darkness, uh, we are told, cannot overcome it. The light is breaking into the world. And that's not a passive thing on our part. That's something we get to be a partner in. And how beautiful is that? That we get to make a difference to the people around us. And I'm not saying, like, just be super jolly. That's not the point. It's not, oh, oh, just be happy. Kind of thing. But, but be people that, that when you look at, uh, at the world around you, you, you can look and you can see the brokenness. You can see the chaos. As I talked about this lack of, of shalom in the world, many of you were nodding. You're like, yes, I see that in my own life. I see that uh, I have complex moving parts and, and not all of it is whole. Um, and some of that's the relationships with the very people that you will be spending time with or could reach out to. But let's do it. Let's be the church. Uh, let's be the church this Christmas. And, and I don't mean like invite people to church. Go ahead and invite them to church. That's great. That's not the point. The point is go be the church. Like I said, you're, you're the ones on the field. When you're interacting with your coworkers, when you're getting together with, with loved ones and family, when you're raising your kids when you're at school and you're interacting with classmates and teachers and 
and driving down the road and deciding how to spend your time. You are the ones on the field. But you can do this. This is what our calling is. We can make a difference. And and it's not, not because we like rooted for the right team in the end. I really think when we get to the end of our lives, I really don't think we're going to be asked what church we went to. I don't think that's in the pop quiz. <laughs> and you're going to say Chapel and Pines, and I'm going to say, okay, good, check. That's not how it's going to work. It, it's going to be, how do you live your life? Was Jesus there? Did you accept him into your heart? Is this who you are? Were you perfect? No. Never, you never said you were. But, but were you forgiven? Yes. Did, did you love people through that forgiveness and in that forgiveness? So this Christmas, let us be people who bring good news of a newborn king. Let God empower us to to share that good news with other people. That this newborn baby wrapped in plain, ordinary cloth, lying in a manger, is actually the Prince of Peace. And that he's the only one that can bring shalom into our lives and into the lives of those around us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Let us enter this Advent season together as people of peace.